When I say this word, I want you to say what it means to you out loud, all right? It's okay to have some loudness in this room, even if we got plenty of kids. Can I get a witness out there, right? I want you to say this word. What is a counterfeit? Fake, all right? That's a great example. A counterfeit is something that's fake. In fact, we deal with treasury, money, uh, finances, and we notice that there is fake dollar bills. And uh, my, my, um, my mother-in-law has worked in finance accounting for many years, 20 plus years, both in secular and in church ministry. And what she can know is just by looking at a fake dollar or a coin, she can identify it based on its parts in it. Even when she feels it, she can see the fakeness and the unauthenticity of what a counterfeit is. But I want to talk about something uh, much detail in a different spectrum. And I want to talk about a counterfeit experience. In 2002, I was a senior in high school. And the church that I was attending at the time, not my father's church, but a different, a sister church, they took us to the Blaisdell Arena. How many of you have been to Oahu and been to the Blaisdell Arena? It's known for the 1970s Elvis Presley uh, uh, comeback tour or whatever. But the Blaisdell Arena is where a lot of the big significant events take place. And we're going to what was called a crusade. And the preacher or the minister at the time who was a televangelist was probably the most famous televangelist of the 80s and 90s. And he preached a gospel of health and wealth. He, there was a portion in the service where there was a healing portion of the service. After three hours of singing and preaching, you think you guys got a bad with Kahuzik, yeah? You didn't hear what I just said, right? After three hours of singing, and preaching, we get to this portion on the fourth hour where there is a healing service. People are coming up to the stage to be healed from cancer, from diabetes, from uh, situations that are beyond their physicality that they can control. And, and people were somewhat being healed, but there was a portion where this crusader, this televangelist would wrap up something in his hand, something invisible, and this uh, televangelists would throw it into the crowd and people would fall down to their back experiencing a fanatic outpouring of God's, what they believe was God's, God's power. And there was a section, we were in the nosebleeds because it's the kind of Hawaiians we were back then. We don't can pay the thousand dollar chairs down below at the blaze. So we're in the nosebleeds with our youth. And when we were up there, this gentleman was about to throw this invisible object into our stands. And I am there holding these, these OPO hands. I'm 18 years old. We're about to experience what I was going to experience, a breakthrough. And when he rolled that thing up in his hand and he threw it to that section of Blaisdell Arena, every section, every person in our section fell to their chairs but me. And so three seconds later, I do what any smart Hawaiian would do. Act like everybody else and sit down and act like I've got hit with the whatever. Does that make, can you get, can you guys feel with me, right? And so I would close my eyes and open my eyes, see what's going on, what's going on. And what happened was, I was jaded by this counterfeit experience. I went there to experience some kind of breakthrough. 
I was dealing with, I was dealing, I was dealing heavily with disobedience to my father. I physically assaulted my father growing up a couple times. I dealt with drugs and I dealt with alcohol and I used it in a mismannered way. I grew up in the church, but I had a hard time being holy. Amen? I had a hard time being righteous. And I was going to this event to become more holy and to become more righteous. I wanted to be like every other youth that was committed to this church. I wanted to sing like they sung. I wanted to commit my instrumental skills like they did. I wanted to denounce sports like they did. I wanted to go to homeschool like they did. You know, you know what it sounds like? Almost sounds like a cult, yeah, right? I wanted to do exactly what they did. But when they took me to the Blaisdell Arena, I was jaded by this counterfeit experience. We get outside and the, the leader, one of the leaders, the lady leaders of the trip condemned me to hell because she said I didn't have enough faith. And that's why I didn't fall on my back. And that's why I didn't experience the same outpouring. And that ruined my understanding of who God was. The way I viewed God was this is what I had to do in order to be in right standing with God. Based on that event alone. Well, I want to tell you today that's a lie. Amen? That's a lie from the pit of hell. And what I want to encourage you guys today... As we go through our summer study to the book of Titus, verse by verse, I want you to see how God's grace motivates us not to do, but to be. Are you with me today, this morning? I want you to see, in fact, we've put out this, our main passage, our main theme verse is out of chapter 3, where it says this about God's grace. That God saved us, not because of what? Works done by us in what? righteousness, but according to his what? Own mercy. Did it say my mercy? Did it say your mercy? Right? I want you to see where we're going, right? It says his mercy by the washing of regeneration, a fancy word for new birth, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. I want you to hear these last few words. Whom God poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. It's always, to go, it's always good to see what it did not say, right? It did not say that God poured this out richly through Zeke Tomaselli. It did not say that God poured this out richly to any one of us in this room. It says that God's grace alone was poured out through his son alone. Can I get a witness, right? This will change the game of your view on God theologically. Theology matters in this church. It matters what you believe and why you believe what you believe. It's not enough just to hear me preaching or Kyle Marcus preaching and just take it, take it, and just take it for it is. You have to search it out for scripture your own self. And we get to a portion of the text where we have acknowledged God's grace through multiple avenues. Last week we addressed it through leadership. That God gave us, gave us pastors, elders, we call kahu or alaka'i, to, to, be, to be qualified by the calling of God and by specific roles and duties and platforms of their lives. And what we move on to is that Paul is tiding, telling Titus why these alaka'i exist. They exist for a purpose. They exist to lead people in the gospel. But there's a situation happening on the island of Crete. 
You can imagine the island of Crete being like the big island of Hawaii, specifically to the T. That there is trouble in the church. Like this trouble is jacked up. There is hakaka in the church. And there is qualified called leaders to this position of kahu or alaka'i to address this heva, this sin that's going on in the church. So we get to the platform of counterfeit. There's a counterfeit in the church that needs to be addressed. And the way it's addressed is through the alaka'i of the church. And I want you to see how Paul addresses Titus to this, to the reading of God's word. Would you stand with me and turn to the book of Titus? And as you get to there, I want to remind you that the book of Titus is a short book, but it is a pastoral epistle with first and second Timothy, meaning it's written directly to pastors, all right, and how to shepherd the church. How to love the church. I hope you have a form of reading of the word. If you don't, we have the screen up for you. And as we continue through our verse by verse study, I want you to see God's grace poured out. In verse 10, it says this of chapter 1 of Titus. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to uh, teach. In fact, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, a native, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, help me out, and lazy gluttons. That's some heavy words. That will get you punched in the face, Hawaiians, right? This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in their what? Faith. Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their conscience are what? Defiled. Listen to these last verses. Last verse. They profess to know God. But they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Jesus, we need you today. We don't need a self-motivated message today. We need a message that encourages us from the core of the gospel. That we are nothing apart from you. That we are sunk apart from you. That we are in desperate need of you. And if you believe that church, everybody says, Amen. You may be seated. Having concluded the list of qualification for the elders last week with a reference to what's happening in the church today, Paul goes on to unmask what we know as in the scripture, false teachers. Specifically, false teachers who are in the island of Crete, in the churches of Crete. Paul is not talking directly just to Titus and his church. But he's talking to all the elders that was appointed by Titus that we've seen in verses 5, 6, and 7, and 8, and 9 of, of the other churches that are on the island. And one thing we learn about island ministry. You guys ready? It's rough. I remember the first 
small group I had at Helion bus stop. It was actually one of you are in here. It was beautiful. But the people that showed up, maybe not so beautiful, right? There were challenges. One came drunk and high. Another came from a fight with their wife. The other issue had, had, had job issues. There, there was a lot of things going on that, man, the only thing I had for them was the gospel. At the same time, these men have heard other preachers and other teachers speak. And what they've gained from their past theological spectrum is what they brought to God versus what God brought to us through Jesus. And many of us Christians today fall under those two categories. We either work by this category, what we need to bring to God, or we work by a more sound approach, what God has already brought to us through Jesus. And what's happening in the church today, you're seeing an orthodox Jewish culture um, coming into the church, and this is what they're doing. They're belittling, belittling the leadership and intimidating the families that are within the church. Just as the Christian message, listen to me, just as the Christian message affects the whole life of every Christian, heresy, if left unchecked, penetrates deep into the communities and the individual's life and thought, leaving nothing undisrupted. What am I saying? If we did not properly, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, address false teachers and the teachings in their orthodox ways, then this church will fail. This church will, this church will be attacked. This church will be intimidated. And not just this church, but the churches we've planted and the church we are connected with. Because this is what happens. Though God comes to bless his people, we learned last week in John 10.10 10, that the enemy comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. That's some heavy three words. It does not say that the enemy come to maybe steal. To maybe kill. No, those words are heavy. It's emphasizing death. It's emphasizing the opposite of Christ's life. It's dead, separated from God for all eternity. So God, Titus is, uh, Titus is being told by Paul, you must install qualified, called elders of the church so that when these, these false teachers come into the church, you can address them. And I want, to, I want you to see what happens. There are six things that take place in our text today that I want to encourage you and send you off in the community with today. Number one, we see false teaching in the church. Paul uh, gives clear details of what these false teachers look like. Number one, in their religious view, they are Jewish by birth. Both by their birth and both by their religion, they were Jewish. Nothing was wrong with that theology. If you know the Old Testament, they believed in Jehovah, Yahweh, one God. They believed in the Father. They believed in somewhat of a son. <laughs> they believed somewhat of the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, they believed that God was one. The problem was they, as Jewish, traditional Orthodox Jews, they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Christ. Therefore, they would penetrate these Christian churches that was planted by Paul. And what they would do, they would intimidate them with false teachings. They were called two words. For those who were Jewish by blood, they were the Judaizers. For those who were Gentile by blood, but converted to Judaism, they were called Essenes. 
You can write these words down. You probably never hear it again outside of this church, all right? These two people groups are foundational through our theological spectrum this morning. These two people groups, though worship Yahweh, were at offense to Jesus. They had a part of the gospel, but the, not the full totality of the gospel. Sound familiar today? They, they weren't familiar. So, so here's a definition for false teacher. What is a false teacher? This is a group or individual who emphasizes on works-based salvation versus what Christ has already done to set us free from sin. In other words, a false teacher put emphasis on the individual rather Jesus. Are you with me? These people would do all they could do to point them away from the church of, of Crete, point them away from our Lord and Savior Jesus. In fact, what does that look like today? You would hear a term in the last 20 years called the prosperity gospel. How many of you have heard that word before, right? It's a wrong gospel. It's a gospel we preach against in this church. This could be known as a gospel that explains uh, the health and wealth of a believer rather than the glory of Christ alone. Now, we're not against health. We're not against wealth. What we are against, that that is the central message of the gospel, which is not. Are you with me? Uh, uh, in the 70s, there was a term that came out, and it was called the name it, claim it, receive it crew. These were people who would go to dealerships, and by their theology, they would stand outside of the dealership, and they would say, I name that Mercedes-Benz in the name of Jesus, and I claim it as my own. They would go into the hospitals, and they would pray over people, and it says, I name and claim this disease in the name of Jesus, be gone. Now, we know of stories where we've seen healing take place, where we've seen God bless people, but the, central, the centrality of the gospel has never been what I get in a materialistic thing, but who I get in a relationship with God through Jesus. Amen. The prosperity gospel is killing the church together today. The prosperity gospel teaches, oh, this is what I do. If God says I need to ask, and I'm going to ask, and I'm going to receive. But what if you keep asking and asking and asking and asking, and you never receive? See, our lens and our viewpoint must get off the traditionalism of American culture gospel. We must be reminded that the gospel is not about prosperity in our health and wealth primarily, but the gospel is about the verbal articulated word of the Lord Jesus. That he came to save sinners from death. The greatest thing you and I can receive today is not a beautiful car, not a beautiful house, and that's not all bad if you got a beautiful car and beautiful house, but the primary message of the gospel is Jesus saves. Jesus rescues. And, and Paul is telling Titus, preach this unpopular message. As a man who, the majority of my family, my koko, they're not believers in Christ. It, it, you think it's popular? When I, when I go and they ask me to pray at their funerals and pray at their, at their birthdays, you think it's popular? And I go up there and I say, man, if you want a long-lasting life, repent and trust in Jesus. You think that is popular? You think it's popular to tell somebody in their face that they're sinful, that they're depraved, that they're somewhat ugly because of death? You think that is popular? I want to encourage everyone in this room. Don't do what is popular. Do what is right. Why? Because God is right. 
Colossians talks about this prosperity gospel in the time of Titus and the days of Colossae. Paul says it this way. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. There is three terminologies, not on the screen, but it's doctrinal words that I want you to write down. The first thing we see in this text, all right, this text is the word legalism. Legalism is about rules and regulations. Have you met some of those Christians today? Like in order for you to be in right fellowship with God, you got to do this. You can't do that. Well, in the text, it says that Paul is addressing the church of Colossae, saying, don't let no one pass judgment on you on the foods you eat, on the festivals you attend, on the moon, the, the red moon, the blood moon, whatever you call it, the full moon, the crescent moon, or even the, the Sabbath. God himself, the day he installed and he instituted in creation, is saying, he's telling, don't let anybody judge you based on your involvement in these things. It is a shadow of things to come. This is what Judaizers did. They did God plus something equals salvation. That is wrong. We know God plus nothing equals salvation. That's the truth of the word. So we see legalism, all about legality, all about do's and don'ts. In fact, a lot, a lot of our parenting is legalistic. Can I get a witness, right? Brah, if you do that, Hawaiian, I'm telling you, you do how, even the way I coach. I tell my running backs, you guys talk one more time. You guys, I, like, I, I threaten for a living. You all laugh because you're in sin with me. Hallelujah. Why? It's easier to threaten. Promise kind. It's easier to tell Kainalo Elijah, you say one more thing, here I come, Hawaiian. That's the reality. It's easy to threaten. It's easy to be legalistic in our approach of the gospel. Secondly, the next word we see is asceticism. In verse 18, it talks about these are people who say this in Hilo. Oh, me, I just keep to myself. I'm no bother with nobody. Have you heard that people before and all that? Yeah, because you are the people in this room, all right? All right yeah, we, we, we no bother with them. I just keep to myself and all that. An ascetic is like a monk from Asia. A monk will stay inside his room for years and not deal with the outside world because their belief is that the issue is what's around them and not what's in them. That's an ascetic. Number three, theological term, mysticism. As you go on through verse 18, it talks about let no one disqualify you of asceticism and the worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up Without reason by his sensuous mind. This is where I will call out the works of fanaticism through the charismatic movement. The denomination I grew up in. They would be puffed up in vision. They would bark like dogs in the service. Literally the pastor would tell them to practice to barking like dogs anytime they affirm something. What the heck? Like that's all that people would be slain in the spirit. They would fall on their back. 
They will speak in unknown tongues. And though some of this that we agree with, with the spiritual gift, the way it's handled and the way it's used and approached has been in a false teaching environment. He confirms that if we have legalism and we have asceticism and we have mysticism, what it does, it divides the church because it bases the work on what man does and not what God has already accomplished on the cross. Secondly, we see our response to false teachers in the church. Paul gives a strong word to Titus on how to handle those who are false teachers in the church. Here's the word. Silence them. The word silence them is a rough word in the Greek. It literally means to physically muzzle them and shut them up. Right? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine like me meeting Connie for the very first time? And when I first heard his theology, that was pretty left field, right? And imagine me grabbing one tennis ball and putting it in his mouth. I really believe it wouldn't work out for Kahu right now. Kahu, Marcus will be here today, not me. Right? And what it means, literally, is to use your words with power. When he says to muzzle them or to shut them up, it means to give a ready defense. To give a ready defense. Declare to them that they're wrong. How are we going to shut them up? We're going to share the truth. False teachers in the church of Crete, or churches of Crete, were teaching heresy. Probably the Jewish law traditions of the hundreds of laws of Leviticus, and a misunderstanding of salvation through works, primarily. Number three, we see the lifestyle of sin that is influenced in the church. Paul gives, Paul is a scholar. Because what Paul does, he doesn't just use Christian theology against Christians. What he does is he uses also secular philosophy. He has a credible source in verse number 12 where he says, Even a native, a prophet of Crete, said to Paul that the Cretans on the island of Crete were three things. You ready? They were liars. They were evil beasts. You know what evil beast means? They probably had relationship with animals. And like many Gentiles like us in Hawaii, we, they probably ate meat raw at the same time. Lastly, they were called, help me out, it says there, gluttons. They were overweight. They were all about self-gain. This convicted me. This convicted me because you guys know I battle with weight. I battle with that, and the only way I can address my weight issue is by going to the gospel. I'm not saying I'm a false teacher. You can judge that on your own accord between your relationship with God. I am saying that I agree with this prophet. I agree with this prophet that our people here in the islands are liars. They are animalistic. You may not believe it, but we have people are like that, and they are gluttons. We are gluttons. And we can look at that physically. Well, let's look at that spiritually. We're liars at the core. We're evil beasts at the core. We're gluttons at the core. What we must see is that the gospel was never made to self-promote our selfish gain. The gospel was made to promote the message and glory of Jesus Christ. 
These false teachers used everything to benefit themselves. Doesn't it concern you that one of the most famous televangelists in the world is asking for some billion amount of dollars to get a private jet? Doesn't that concern you? Doesn't that concern you that these pastors have million dollar houses? Like 12 houses on one lot. Most of them are empty. We know this by tax issues that's going on in America today. Does it not concern you that the health and wealth gospel would not be in the middle of Afghanistan? I don't think you guys got that one. I'm not hearing of any health, wealth, prosperity gospel in areas where Christians are being killed for their faith. Doesn't it concern you? Does that concern you? It should concern you because the gospel wasn't about self-promotion, health, and wealth. The gospel has always been about Jesus. 1 Timothy 6 says it this way. Paul tells Timothy, another young pastor, this. He says, but those, a hoppa preacher, a hoppa boy. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into what? Temptation. Into a snare. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Here's the three things humanity struggles with. You ready? Number one, religion. Number two, sex. Number three, money. If there is three things that we are flawed for in our lives, it is religion, sex, and money. Let me clarify this. We believe that religion is the opposite of the gospel. At Ohana Church, religion, the, the, the definition of a religion is a set of rules and a system of rules that makes us, in our own effort, be right with God. Now, is that true in the gospel? No. The work has to come from who? God alone. But we believe this, as James says, there is a good religion. A good religion that is focused on the work of Christ. Secondly, we're you were jaded by sex. And I love you enough to say you to say this to you. You guys ready? If you are having sex outside of the boundaries of the biblical gospel, then you are a false teacher today. If you're having sex with a man or a woman that you're not married to, you are a false teacher today. And I love you to say this. Get out of it. Repent of your sin. This is not a popular message. That's why all of you are not laughing this morning. Because it's the truth. And the more you allow false teaching to ruin and ravish your life, the more, the more, listen, the more your heart will be hardened. Lastly, we're jaded by money. In the area of we see the lifestyle of sin that influenced the church, money is not the issue in this text. What it says is the love of money, that's an issue in the text. We believe at all on the church that we need finances to plant churches, to be resources for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the problem is when we want to become this big paradigm of an empire, to just look at us for the sake of looking at us, then we, it's a love issue, not a love issue more than a money issue. I want you to hear me out today. The gospel has always been about Jesus, and it will always be about Jesus. As simple as it sounds, and as much as we preach it, it's rarely applied in the church. And it's rarely applied because we're deceived by false teachers. Number four, we see a stand for truth. 
verses 13 and 14, Paul tells Titus to do it one step further. He doesn't just tell them to silence these false teachers, but he also says to rebuke them. I'm commissioning everyone in this room. If you see a false teacher inside the room, as you're one of your alaka'i, as your kahu, you have the right in God's grace to rebuke them. But I want you to see, because there's a twist here. Because you may feel beat up right now by what I said. There's joy in the word rebuke. Because in the Greek language, rebuke means two things. It means to expose sin and discipline righteousness. Let me say that again. When it comes to uh, rebuking someone, it means to expose sin and to discipline righteousness. This is encouraging because we see two things out of these two factors. Number one, this is an opportunity for false teachers to get it right. It's, it's an opportunity for us who doesn't have it right to get it right. Number two, it's an opportunity for us to teach sound doctrine. If you agree with everything someone believes, something's wrong with your theology. I can promise you when our alaka'i meets on Thursdays, we don't always agree with the same thing. Can I get a witness, alaka'i, out there? We don't always agree, but we work together because it's an opportunity to, to restore and to, to bring up people in godly. And I want you to see this. This is an opportunity by exposing sin and seeing, listen to me, a changed heart. I want you to see that Paul wasn't one, one punk, alright? Paul was a gracious brother. He wasn't silencing people, and he wasn't rebuking people for the sake of being done with them. Paul had compassion, just like Jesus had compassion. This word rebuke literally means to give an opportunity to repent and be restored by it. Here's a biblical truth when it comes to the gospel. The gospel is given to us not to just expose people in their sin, but to redeem them from their sin. Like there should be a hundred amens in this room. Say it out with me one time. Everybody, one, two, three. The gospel is given to us not to just expose people in their sin, but to redeem them from this sin. If all you want to do is correct people and not help them out, you are a false teacher. If all you want to do, all right, is be critical and controlling over people's lifestyle and lack of holiness, but not give them the resources and the love and the tools to restore them, you are a false teacher. I can promise you, many of you that look in this room, you've been confronted by this reality. You've been confronted by this truth. You could even raise your hand saying, yeah, I had that conversation with one of our leaders in the church. And you're still here because you are receiving the truth of the gospel. The gospel is given to us not to just expose people in their sin, to belittle them, but it's to redeem them from their sin. We should never find joy in, in exposing people's sin. We should always have a broken heart that people have no relationship with God or fellowship with God. Therefore, we must share the truth with them because Jesus does that. Remember, Titus is not our model. Paul is not our model, our example. Jesus is our model. We get to our fifth point. We see the difference between saving faith and works driven faith. In verse 15, Paul makes it clear to Titus, purity that counts comes only through faith alone, through Christ alone. A pure believer in Jesus Christ 
can never make themselves more holier than Christ has already made them holy. No matter what you do or don't do, Jesus does the work. And the heretics of the time, right, was doing external purity issues. Meaning they were controversing the gospel with saying, okay, you believe in God, but in addition, you got to do all these things. How many of you feel like that in your faith, even right now? How many of you feel like you don't measure up? Can I get a witness, right? Well, you don't measure up, right? We don't measure up. How many of you feel like you're constantly failing, right? How many of you feel like no matter what you do, you are always on the bottom spectrum of Christianity? Listen to me. It's because you're being lied to by the devil. We, all of us, we're being lied to by the devil. So what we do, here's, the, here's an extension of what we do. When we're attacked by the devil, we do the very thing that the gospel tells us not to do. We run away from those who believe in Jesus. And I agree with everyone in this room. We're not perfect. But the way God redeems people is through the preaching of his word to the people of his family. That's the way he deals people from this side of the cross. They're the reflection of truth in these texts signifies that the people that they were dealing with was corrupt. Corrupt in their mind, as the text says, corrupt in their heart, and ultimately, listen to me, disobedient to a righteous, holy God. As Colossians 2 also professed, our last truth then will be Pauhana. We see false Christianity. The lives of these false teachers did not look like Christ. They were, they were, hear me out, they were playing church. They were coming Sunday mornings, but they weren't really feasting on the gospel. They were leading groups, and they were involved in mission trips, and they were involved in tithes and giving, but what they lacked was a heart that came from God. Second Peter up on the screen says it this way. For this very reason, Paul tells Peter this very truth. Make every effort to what? Supplement. Say that word out loud. Supplement. Supplement what? Your faith with virtue and with virtue with knowledge. Truth, another word for virtue. And knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness. Paul gives clear details on how we should handle our walk on how we should behave, on how we should act. And I think we've passed through these and like, oh, we don't want to do this. If you want to be in right standing with God, this is how God works out salvation through you. Now, I want you to hear what I did not say. If you want to be in right standing with God, this is what you got to do. I did not say that. I said, if you want to be in right standing with God, this is what God has to do in and through you. And this is what he says he does in and through you, right? Knowledge. With self-control and with and self-control with steadfastness and with steadfastness with godliness. Another word for godliness last week that we learned is the word devotion. And that we're godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a perfect reminder for leaders in the church. You know why you burned out? You know why you tired? You know why you incompetent? You know why you have every excuse? Why you can't get things done? Because you're being lied to the devil. And a lie is a perspective based, listen to me, based in a 
based in an inception that leads to limitation. A lie always limits us from the truth. As I sit down with leaders and I sit down with members, even myself included, we are notorious of being what the Cretans were. And our only hope is in Christ. Verse 8 says it this way, For if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they keep you from being what? Ineffective or unfaithful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he or she is what? Blind. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will what? Never fail. Hey, here's the answer. What does it mean to walk in fellowship with Christ? This scripture right here. This text right here. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. Confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Final. For in the way there will be richly provided for you in an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's two things that must happen. By the power of our, our holy God, the work of His Spirit, in the name of Christ, Number one, you must supplement your faith with God's word. I would even be so bold to say this. If you're not in God's word, you have nothing to say. Let me say that again. If you're not in God's word, you really have nothing to say. Because anything you say apart from God's word is of the flesh. But when you're in God's word... By the work of God through the Holy Spirit, you can't help but be vigilant. Be on the lookout. Be on the lookout of your election. As the second point is, supplement your faith with God's word. Number two, we must confirm, based on that, our calling and election. When there is incompetency in our leadership on staff or in our church, it's not directed to their effort. It's actually directed to their heart. Our hearts have been deceived by God. Therefore, we must point our hearts back to the answer. Christ. You may say, man, I'm not a false teacher, but everything you say, I'm practicing. I'm living out. Oh, perfect. You heard the gospel, and now you have kuliana. What does that mean? You get to repent today. Let's be a people of washing with the word. I know it's not fun to call out people's sin. And I'm against the whole truth that we should talk about more what we're for than what we're against. I think there needs to be balance. There needs to be a clear gospel. Like, the gospel doesn't accept every religion, hello. The gospel doesn't accept every lifestyle what the gospel does accept is the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ and so today will you stop straddling the fence and would you confess to Jesus your dependency on him as our alakai comes up to the stage 
I want you to respond in a few ways. Number one, you can stand where you are and you can repent on behalf of your own heart for what you heard. Number two, you can walk up and you can pray with one of our alaka'is. You can confess with them your sin. And they can walk through with you what it means to live holy through prayer and supplications. Lastly, you could even use these steps as an old-fashioned altar. Remember, we're denying the American gospel. We're not saying do what you want to do. We're actually doing the opposite. Die to yourself. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And this is not just a repentance of salvation. This is also a repentance through sanctification. A daily renewal. I would also say if there is any false teachers in this room that you are aware of, that are sharing works-driven salvation, that you are welcome to come to us so that we can pray and address the issue straight hand. Are you with me? Number one, stand and sing and pray and confess your sin where you're at. Number two, come to our alakai. Number three, come to these steps and use it as an old school altar. I want this room to respond to the glory of God. It's not enough just to come to church anymore. But we have to come in uh, holy matrimony. Not just a wedding of two people coming together, but a wedding of the church and Christ coming together in holy matrimony. Would you stand with me as we pray and as we declare these words to God? God, we need you. God, we want you. Prick the hearts right now, continuously. May they respond. May they not be ashamed of their confession. But thank you, God, we don't have to go into a box room and to confess our confession. But because of Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. We can come directly to you. But may our uh, our public confession of faith encourage others. That's why we need people to walk up here. People to come to the altar because they can encourage other people to step up by faith and be transparent. Those who are, tra- who are transparent and real will be free, God. And we believe that in Jesus' mighty name. And God's Ohana says.